Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everyone, welcome back. It's Monday. Welcome back to Hockey Buzzcast. Sorry, I'm wearing my child's baseball hat today. Just uh, in that kind of day around here. But um, I thought you were Bruce Wayne. Yes, I am. I am. Well, you know, I've always been a superhero. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. What did you want to talk about, LeBron? Okay, so there's an interesting thing that ESPN sort of slid in today on um, their first take show, Max Kellerman, who, you know, I'm guessing he's a guy in his 40s. I I don't think he saw much of Dr. J in the ABA, if at all. And and so he basically said, well, you know, LeBron James is better than he started naming players, and he named Dr. J as one of them. And so when you look up the numbers, and this is the part where I say statistics matter because – you can't simply shrug off the ABA because so many guys, when they crossed over to the NBA, when that league shut down, became Hall of Famers. That league was a run-and-gun league the way this league is. Very very little defense compared to the NBA, a lot more exciting. It was my favorite league, actually, because the NBA was sort of slow and plodding and guys were elbowing under the boards and all that, right? right. So, so Dr. J, in his career, has won three titles, two of them over there, same as LeBron James. He's won four MVPs, same as LeBron James. He has 30,000 points, more than LeBron James, and he's actually got three scoring titles, two more than LeBron James. And, of course, they say, well, LeBron James is better than Dr. J because – and I'm thinking, well, how? Yeah, and and Dr. J did it in an era where you had Bird and Magic, mm-hmm. where you had George Gervin. You yep. know, you had you – had, I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, maybe this is not – I mean, maybe this is not an argument – against the dominance of LeBron, but there's nobody that really rivals him. So for somebody to win three scoring titles and win three MVPs when all those other players... And again, somewhere in the ABA, but again, Gerd right. Gerben was there and Malone was there. There was a great right. players there. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember Dr. J now, granted, I didn't see the Nets games, you know, New Jersey Nets yeah, and games. And he won one with the Virginia Squires too. Right, I I only saw him with the 76ers, but and that was in you know that was in the not the that was in the, the middle latter of his career, middle. middle latter half. He was still a phenomenal player and rivaled rivaled Bird and rivaled rivaled Magic. So yeah, no, I and he was the, I don't, he was the final one. This one will get you, and this one will get Eck too, because even though he doesn't care about basketball, he'll care about the math part of this. So then then he said, well, you know, I pretty much could tell you that LeBron James is more important to his team than any player that's ever existed. And I thought about that. And we, you know, Bill Russell, I think, won 11 titles in 12 years, but he had great teammates. So I'm not even going to put Bill Russell in it. When Will Chamberlain scored 100 points for the Sixers, he was the team. If they didn't have him, they weren't winning championships. And again, what were the Nets like when they lost Dr. J? They were nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. I grew up okay. I grew up a basketball fan, you know, a little bit when I was a kid. And I I followed Dr. I followed this era. You're in my era now that I can talk a little bit about. Yeah, right. I was, um, I mean, I followed the, and I'm 48, so I followed the NBA doctor, doctor, version of Dr. J, more than the ABA yeah. version of Dr. J. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, he was, I mean, he was transformative to basketball, especially in this area, you know, and 
completely. And I just, I mean, there was no one. I mean, I played, a lot of people played, I mean, it was just one of those things. I'm sure LeBron does the same thing, but it's one of those things like more people played basketball when Dr. J was around than, than whenever ever before. I mean, he was one of those, he was a Jordan-esque type player for sure. Yeah. And I put, I always thought he, was, thought he was more like Jordan than LeBron. Yeah. In terms of the, in terms of the style, I mean, he, LeBron, LeBron uh, physically is more like Magic Johnson. He's six right. feet. Yeah. He can put, I mean, he could play guard and he could play center like Magic did. So, I mean, I think physically he's more like Magic, whereas Dr. J is more like Jordan in the sense that I think I think Dr. J may have been taller than Jordan. Jordan was, what, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, Russ, something like that? Uh, yeah, I want to say he was 6'5". Yeah, and I, I, I don't know what Dr. J is, but I, I would be surprised if he's much six, taller than that. Three. Yeah, so they're so, – yeah, right, so – um, let me, let me just talk about the, this because, I mean, you know. I'm, well, the, one, I'm sure. the last thing, and then you can talk about it. The last thing I was going to say is just imagine me saying, Mike, I'm smarter than you and Eck, even though you guys have a 3.75 grade point average and mine's a 3.5, 3. I'm smarter than you. That's basically where the argument was to me. That's all. Yeah. Hey, if I had a dollar for every time somebody makes a baseless argument. <laughs> Um, now, okay, and I, if if I did, I would spend I would have spent more on the Kentucky Derby. And I'm not a I'm not a gambler. I know nothing about horse racing, but I think like every other amateur person, when the Kentucky Derby comes along, they'll just put a few bucks on the on a horse and hope that they win. Uh, I, I'm not somebody who follows the track conditions or anything like that. So like I see the list last week of the names of the horses uh, who are running in the Kentucky Derby. I think it was like 20 horses in the race. And there was a horse called Battle of Midway, mm-hmm. and Battle of Midway was the the you know the Battle of Midway, which happened in 1942, is something I was doing my mat one my master's thesis on. I never completed it, but I, I worked on it for a while. Always fascinated about the battle. Always you know there was a movie in the 70s with Charlton Heston. It was always fascinating to me. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I'm gonna bet that horse. I go into I go into the OTB, which I've never gone oh, into before. OT, you've never been to an OTB. I've never been into OTB. Really? You know, had to be had to had to be instructed about how to bet how to bet. You know, put twenty dollars to win on Battle of Midway and went about my business. So Saturday, I'm covering the Toronto Marley Syracuse Crunch playoff game in Syracuse, and all of a sudden I see Battle of Midway popping up on 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 Twitter, and I'm like, oh my god, I want it finished in third. I bet it to win. It finished. It, it paid $20 to show. If I hadn't have been just like, if I had a bet it across the board or just bet it to show, I, if I, I would have won 200 bucks, but instead I won nothing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You gave it a go. You gave it a go, Mike. Yeah. You can do what you can do. I didn't get a chance to. Just... I didn't even watch it. I didn't either. I didn't either. Anyway. All right. Let's get going here. I, I watched it. I, I'm a huge horse racing fan, but that's a story for another day. I, I grew up around the track, so I love the track. Um, but I, I, my horse didn't come in at all. <laughs> I mean, the, the Kentucky Derby is one of the hardest. That's races. a metaphor for something else, but I'm going to leave it alone. The, hard, the, the Kentucky Derby is one of the hardest races in the world to predict. Yes. You've got, like, you know, you got how many, like 20 horses or whatever it is. It's craziness. Yes. Uh, and it was raining, so on top of it, you know, that's also going to play into it. Well, that that's what makes the long shots even more of a you know a better oh, yeah. bet. It does, it does. I mean, um, my I guess it's a real quick story. This is really funny. So all right, this is real fast. Um, so 
years ago, I went with uh, Captain Neo, who you guys know, another hockey person, um, to Garden State Racetrack. We would go quite a bit because we grew up in Cherry Hill, um, New Jersey, where Garden State Racetrack mm -hmm. was. And we went and saw a horse race, and just we just went on a rogue Thursday night. And like the sixth race was a claimer. It was just nothing big. It was just like an every other race, a, like a one miler race. We watched a horse win by more than I'd ever seen a horse win by in his life. Like literally, this horse won by the other horses were still rounding the final turn. <clears throat> Must have been like 15, 15 laps, and that horse was called Spendabuck. All right. Oh. This is before spend. This was like spend a buck. One of spend a buck's first races, and this is so. This and this was a good month and a half before the Kentucky Derby, and uh, then the Jersey. You know, it was really crazy. It was there was nobody there. Literally, I was standing at the finish line, you know, which is where we would always stand at the finish line, right down by the rail to watch the horse come in. Nobody else was there, and we could not believe this. How much this horse won by? So um, we went. You know, so then of course spend a buck goes on and wins the Kentucky Derby. Just was like out of nowhere, really. Like a Jersey, Jersey horse. He wasn't a favorite in that Derby at all. Wins the wins the Derby. Comes back and doesn't run in the. If you remember, doesn't run in the Preakness because um because he because the Jersey Derby draws him back to Cherry Hill for a million bucks to race in the Jersey Derby. It was really and I was there for that too. It's kind of fun. Anyway, but that was yeah, that was my little spend a buck story. I was always so that's that was what I always follow any 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 you know children or offspring of that horse. I always bet on so it's fun. It's fun. It was a fun thing to see. All right, here we go. Hello, Hockey World. It's Monday, May 8th, 2017. I'm Michael Lagello. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Eklund. You're watching the Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world. And we have a lot of comings and goings to talk about today. We have a team that's going in St. Louis um, and a team that really is surprising, continuing to surprise in the fact that they are now 8-2 and two in the playoffs in the Nashville Predators, who I think um, are just finding ways that they, they feel like they're starting to get that team of destiny feel to them. They're, they're finding ways to win um, no matter what they do. Uh, so I want to talk about them before we get into the other fun stuff, but because that they're pretty easy to talk about. I mean, they really are just what they are <laughs> at this point. You know, Becca Rene is playing out of his mind. He's playing really well. He's making big saves at big times and they're just opportunistic. I mean, they didn't play a, they played a horrible first period yesterday against St. Lewis. Yeah. And somehow managed to win that game. Like that, they they really shouldn't have won yesterday's game at all. I thought I thought they were in big trouble in that. Well, I'll tell you what the biggest problem with the Blues is, and we talked about it once before when they got rid of Kevin Shattenkirk. Jordan Schmaltz is not ready to be the offensive force that he might be able to be in the future. Jay Bowmeister and Alex Pietrangelo are not offensive defensemen. They're very good puck movers, great defensemen, great athletes. They don't put up points. They don't score goals, and they need the offensive push from the blue line, they didn't get it. And with LaViolette, that's his specialty, and Nashville is getting it because they do have those guys. And to me, that's a big difference in the series. Well, I'm not trying to take anything away from Nashville because any team that gets to the conference final deserves credit. But I think they benefited from the fact that they were playing against the worst team and the, the worst of the eight teams remaining. I think St. Louis was. I, 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 St. Louis should be celebrating that they got past the first round because I didn't think that they were going to get by Minnesota, and it was because of Jake Allen that they did. Um, but they And they won two games in the series, but I, I really didn't see a lot out of the Blues that really made me think that they were going to win this series. I was surprised when they won to make it 3-2. to two. And, you know, they got out to a quick start with Paul Stosny's goal uh, uh, to take the lead, but I think by about the, about the five minute mark of the second period, Nashville took over that game, and it was just a matter of 
you know, if they were going to get past, get a shot past Allen, and once they did, and once they took the lead on the Johansson goal, you know, I, I, I think I thought it was over with. So, I mean, credit to Nashville. It's going to be a great atmosphere for the Western Conference Final, but they benefited by the fact that they, they, they didn't have to play Minnesota, who I thought was the better of the two teams. I agree. Let me take, let me take issue with that a little bit, Mike. Um, I'd like to agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. Um, this is this is one of those cases where, I mean, the by the the Blues are better than teams that are still playing. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm the Blues are better. I don't than think so. I, I disagree no, with that. Well, if they're not, if they're not, still they're one of the final eight teams in the NHL. Right. So, they are. Yeah. I mean, so you could talk about the best of the final eight. That's still pretty darn good. Plus, the Predators eliminated the what many people thought were the best team in four games. You know, so it's like to me. Um, the, and this Blues team was very good this year from the second half of the season on. I mean, this was a really, I mean, one of the top teams in the league. If you look at their, if you look at the records, I think they were the fourth best team in the NHL. They're like, yeah, but again, I, you know, it's not fluky. There was a flukiness to them, though. Yeah. They were very good after March the 1st. They were, I mean, remember, when they traded yeah. Shattenkirk, they were borderline to make the playoffs. I think they right. were up by one or two points. Right, right. They took off, and after March 1st, you said they were great, right? And from the coaching change on, they were pretty darn good. Um, and from March first on, yeah, right. Everyone's like, "Oh, they might not make the playoffs." So they're trading Shattenkirk, and I think they were they were going to shake trade Shattenkirk. I think they should have oh, done yeah, it because I think it was a distraction for them, to be honest. But I think that they did a good job with it at the end of the day. So, yeah, I just think that. I mean, this is the thing: you got to you get a defense like Nashville has, you get a goalie like they have, and that's what that's a recipe for winning a Stanley Cup. It just is. I mean, the bottom line is not that you know this is no different than other teams we've seen do this before. I mean, it's they're not they have the perfect combination of things going on right now. They have a good combination of young players, combination of old players. They've got it. They've kind of got all the I mean, Mike Fisher is a great person to have on this team. Like, right, you know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying Nashville. We're not discounting Nashville. We're just saying. I, I think that it's like, it's, I think it's funny to sit back and say that, you know, beating the Chicago Blackhawks and St. Louis Blues in the first two rounds of the playoffs is not a good thing. Like, no, I, I, didn't, I, didn't mention the, I didn't mention the Blackhawks. I mentioned specifically the Blues. I mean, yes. Yeah, the Blackhawks was a big deal. Beating the Blues is a big deal, but not as a big, not as big a deal. It's just right. not. Heck, the, the Blues were really good team this year, and they were a really good team last year. And this Blues team is not – I mean, they yeah. struggled at times this year. Yes, they did. They No question, they weren't dominant. But that's team. It's at the end of the day, that team is still they the are, team that's been very good for a couple years now. Like, really. They're not scoring they're, goals. Like, come yeah, on. They're, they're, they're they're Can we talk about, like, a really – like, I think just a crazy disappointment is Tarasenko. I mean, to be honest, he – Yeah, well, that's a big deal. He was yeah. last year in the playoffs, too. Like, the yeah. re remember the Shark series, Tarasenko was terrible in it. Yeah, and, and, that, and that should tell you something because if Tarasenko doesn't score, they don't win because why? They only have one legitimate scorer. I mean, you know, uh, Jaden Schwartz is an excellent player. They have ex other, other good players like Steen and Stasny. But in terms of a sniper, that's the only guy they have. And after they traded Shattenkirk – Fabry's out, right, but Fabry's also a big-time player, so – yeah, but no. Well, heck, I mean, he's, he's not big time yet. I think, yeah, he's had one one half season. I, I mean, he's a big time player. I mean, I, well, I he might he I'm might be fair and say that he's. I mean, yeah, of course he hasn't proven himself like some of these other players, right. but exactly challenging plays a really good player. I mean, he's. I, a, I mean, he, he he could very well be, but he's had one rookie season, then a disappointing sophomore season, then he and then he then he got hurt and he's out for the rest of the year. So I mean, there's still there's something to prove there. But what I'm saying is, going into the playoffs, they didn't have, you know, as Russ pointed out, they didn't have the offensive weapon in Shattenkirk on the blue line. All the weight was on Colton Pareko in terms of being able to generate offense. After that, you really didn't have a lot. You know, Peter Angelo and Bo Meester are a shutdown pair. If you shut down Terra 
Tarasenko, there's nobody else to score. So that that was the problem. No, scoring is their issue right now. There's no question about it. And there's no two ways. There's no two ways. I mean, you're right. And they they rely on Jaden Schwartz to do a lot more than he than they have than they should have to. Yeah. Um, you know uh, what's his name? Um, the uh, 57 Peron David Peron. really disappointing I mean, Peron's not a good player anymore yeah, not a good player anymore and it's a shame because I mean I at one point he was really I thought I really I liked him a lot and he he now just he makes a lot of stupid plays like the penalty he took yesterday was critically damaging in the first period like you know what the point at which I mean the Predators did nothing on the power play but it stopped the Blues because the Blues were flying the Blues were going to score another goal or another two goals in that first period and yeah. Ron then takes a terrible penalty. That's just, I mean, that, that to me, if I'm, you know, I would have benched in the rest of the game after that. That was just, that, that was so, you cannot take a penalty in that situation when your team is dominating the other team and just take a mid-ice interference penalty. Like, crazy. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. All right, but let's, even though you guys hate the Predators, let's move no, on. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. Jake Allen is number two in save percentage in these playoffs, right? And if I look, and I look who the best scorer is, in the playoffs for them, it is Jaden Schwartz who has nine points in 11 games, and he's ranked somewhere like the 15th best scorer in the playoffs. Right. That is why they lost. Jake Allen is their, was their best player in the playoffs, no question about it. And yeah. it, it's, not his, you know, it's not his fault they lost, and everybody's going to always – No, always it's not his fault. Everybody always blames the goalies in St. Louis. This was not St. Louis's goalies. No, the, the, the case of this series was in the first round against Chicago – sorry, excuse me, in the first round against Minnesota, Jake Allen was superhuman. In the second round, he was Jake Allen. He was good. He wasn't great. And they needed him to be superhuman for them to win. Now, that tells you that there's shortcomings on that team that Jake Allen standing on his head or Jake Allen being just normal Jake Allen couldn't cover up. And that means that Doug Armstrong in the offseason better address those issues because that team, I think, is sort of in that middle of the road right now where they're good, but they're not good enough to win. And here's the thing, Steen and Schwartz were the only two players they had in the top 30 in scoring. Yeah. That's it. And they no, were I, know. I know. I mean, there's issues there, but they're but that this that's always been kind of St. Louis's jam. Like they've they've never really been it. They've always been a team that's good scoring from everywhere. They have good defense, you know, and they have I mean they had they still I mean they have really three really good defenders still. And you know, I mean I'll take but you know they don't put up a lot of points. That's the problem. No, I know, and they're not point for, and then they're point producing defensemen. You know, was Shattenkirk a little bit? Like, like actually, Mike had a good. Mike was, you know, surprised, and I think I was a little taken aback. Mike, what was the number for Jay Bowmeister playoff stats? Uh, they, they, it was like forty nine games and six assists. I mean, yeah. that's it. Not, you know, not a, not even a goal. I mean, unless unless NBC was wrong with that stat, I like did a double take when I saw that. Like. This is a guy, you know, when he was with Florida, even when he was with Florida, Florida. I'm thinking that, Mike. I remember his first playoff with Florida, and this guy, oh. whoa, this guy's going to be unbelievable. Well, no, well, wait a second. Didn't he not make the playoffs with Florida? He didn't play in the playoffs until he, he got to Florida. He played in the playoffs against the Flyers with Florida, um, against Van Beesbrook. I'm looking it up. Hold on. I'm darn, yeah. I'm almost positive this one. Um, but I, I mean, mean, if the graph, if the graphic is wrong, I mean, maybe it's. It maybe is correct. He has six playoff points, no yeah. goals. It's yeah. hard to believe. Yeah. There you go. I mean, no, it's, I think that's true. But I remember. I mean, he, he when he came into the league, though, he was not a goal scorer at all. But no, he's only had three years of double digit goals. the The thing about Jay Bowmeister was when he was, and I was at that draft. It was my first draft when he was getting compared to Bobby Orr and all this craziness. He played the part because he looked the, the part right. He had the size. He had speed. He 
He was faster than a lot of defensemen when he first came in the league because the league hadn't changed over to the speed league it is. But offensively, it never really kicked in for him. And really, after 2009, he has never had more than six goals in a year or he had one year where he had 42 points. Otherwise, he is basically now like a 20-point guy if at best. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't, he's a great he didn't, defender. He's a great he did, defender, and he, he loves ice time. He did not play in the playoffs until he got to St. Louis. He never played That's true. Yeah, you're right. in Florida and never with Calgary. So, and, 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 and you know, huh. I think you're thinking of Jovanovski. Maybe. But 49 games with not even a goal. I'm losing my mind. It's all right. So my, I, I do it all the time. Thanks it's for crazy. It. I mean, think about that. 49 playoff games, not even a goal. Yeah, that is crazy. That All right, let's move on to um, – all right, Anaheim Edmonton. I mean, there's nothing to talk about this weekend with those two teams. So we'll move on to the next series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do want to point this out. You're going to fix show in Anaheim Edmonton right now. But, let's just, but I do want to point this out. Doug Litster, who was not an offensive defenseman, has six playoff goals. That's hard to believe, too. Yeah, yeah. He's a great player. Doug Lister. I love Doug Lister. Yeah, he's a really good player. Knucks didn't play at all in the playoffs back then, though. They weren't always in that either. Uh, well, let me, okay, let me let me just just say all this. Right, let's talk about Edmonton. First of all, let's begin here with the controversial play, okay? we got to start there because that's going to be – is that okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Kessler deciding to pull apart the legs of Gibson. So That that to me was absurd, just absolutely. I mean, and, and I wrote – like I wrote my blog, and I really appreciate the fact that people didn't – people on my website were cool about it because – I don't. I've never. I've written. I think two articles in the entire time that I've been doing this, that that called out the refs on anything. Like that's twelve years. Article every single day. Two articles. This is the second time I called on the refs. But this was just. And and yes, all the things are true. That Edmonton had to be bad enough, had to make mistakes to put themselves in that position. They were up three nothing. It shouldn't have been three two. It was three three. All that stuff is true. But at the end of the day, you cannot just because you are knocked into the goalie does not mean you're allowed to do anything at that point to the goalie that you want to do. Like, th- th- to me, that's where it gets – that's where this thing gets hazy. The rule right now – I don't even know what goalie interferes if, if a defender is actually touching you, or I'll even say even playing you in towards the creeps, if a good defender is even near you, that that enables you to do whatever the hell you want. And that, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm with that. So. Well, I'm, un- I'm unable to debate this because I have no idea what the rule is anymore. Well, that that and the fact that I think and and I whatever it is, Russ, it's not that you're allowed to pull the goalie's legs apart. I'm sorry, Mike. But I, whatever it is, the rule is you're definitely not allowed to do that. Let's just can we all agree on that? I apparently, mean, that's not true. No, no. I see. I you know I, before the before the playoffs started, I said we were going to have a soul crushing controversy <laughs> based on video review it was bound yeah. to happen really? and, and this is and this is where this is where it's gone so far okay now obviously Edmonton bounced back and was incredible yesterday but they can look at it that they lost this you know they, they had a chance to win this series if they had just hold held on to that 3-0 lead in two games this weekend you had the Jimmy VC goal with the Rangers in Ottawa, which we'll talk about, where, you know, okay, that was good. That, that was good that you had video replay because they didn't count it a goal and they only it was obviously a goal. The the glove was over the it was over the goal line. So right. there's the positive. But the negative is this subjective stuff that happens with is the goalie being goalie being interfered with? Is the goalie not being interfered with? Is he being pushed in by the defenseman, or is the player allowing himself to get pushed in by the defenseman and lingering there too long? It's, I mean, all it is is that, all it is is that, 
it opens this league up for more controversy. All I, I'm, I'm fairly sure we're going to have something akin to the Brett Hall no goal in the Stanley Cup final because it's bound to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. It is. You're so right. And it's, um, I mean, I was glad to see Baby Bob McKenzie calling out the fact that he thinks the offsides review is ruining the league. I thought that was something. I mean, when Bob says that, that's a big deal. Um, and I, I really, I, I agree with him on that too. I mean, the offside thing, we're totally missing the point. You know, there are two different things though, right? So let's just change change the Remember they said only eight games have been affected because of it this year. They're not changing it. That's what they said. All right, the goal interference or the offsides? Right. No, no, not the goal interference. The offsides. Right. Okay, let's let's get away from that for a second. It's ridiculous, but we'll don't. That's not. That's not really the big problem. Like the big problem is this goal interference thing. Okay, which is that it really does appear as if the rule now, if we were to write it out by you know, if you were to write the rule after watching it, you would say this: you're not allowed to touch the goalie unless a player on the goalie's team is close to you in any way, shape, or form, and appears to have pushed you towards the goalie or appears to have even played you or made a defensive play on you. So the closer you skate to the goalie, the more likely that a person is at least going to put a stick on you, which means they're going to have to try. You can't just let a guy skate freely through the crease. So putting a stick on versus pushing into, that's where I think we need to like define that because I think the pushing into concept is it's very easy to look like if someone puts a stick on you to fall that way and look like you're being pushed right. into the goalie. Then once you're pushed into the goalie, apparently, like I said, the way the rule is written now, you can do whatever the hell you want. And that's also got to change because you have to be like, okay, I've been pushing the goalie, but you can't physically put your hands on the goalie or reach to the goalie or whatever because I I just couldn't believe this. I couldn't believe it. I, and, and, and I thought, you know, I thought the Oilers win, and, and the way they react to it was actually pretty amazing. But good, that overtime, that, you know, it was a good overtime. And that, I was, that was just crazy. It's got to stop. But they did come back. They do bounce back, like we say. They come back with a really big game. Um, and this, But this game says something more about the Ducks, I think, than it does the Oilers. Um, yeah, I agree. Game six. It became yeah. a throwaway game for them. Like, they just – But this is the thing. Russ, you know, and I, 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 was, I was doing a blog on this, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give away my punchline here because <laughs> but it, it's the truth. When you look back at the Ducks, okay, and, when, and they've lost all these game sevens, They've also been leading all those series by four to three. Like by, yeah. by like they've been leading. They've lost game sixes before them all. Like this yeah. is not the first time they have thrown away a game six and gotten yeah. killed in it. This is not the first time the Ducks have just had a horrible game six with a chance to eliminate a team. That's Russ. And I, we said last year, I think on this very show, the problem with the Ducks is not the game sevens. It's the game sixes. Right. I I always look for historical comparatives when it comes to playoff series, even if it crosses different sports. And, you know, the one traumatic one for me was 2001 with the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. If you remember, Yankees win that thir- that that traumatic, you know, that that game 5 the uh, in in New York. I think I can't remember if it was Tino Tino's home run or whatever. Uh, or Brocious's home run. Brocious. They, go, they right. They go to Game Six in Arizona with Andy Pettit on the mound, and they lose. I think thirteen to one. Right. They just completely mail it in, and that's the that was the thing. I mean, I turned that game on five, ten minutes into the first period. It was already two nothing. Dreisaitl had already scored a couple goals, and I'm. I'm thinking, you know, this is the exact same thing that happened, although it took a little longer. I mean, Edmonton is up 3 nothing with four and a half minutes left to go in the third period before Anaheim wakes up and says, oh, we got to start playing now. And this and that's, is the problem with Anaheim. You're right. Yeah. Starting games, I don't know who's worse, the New York Rangers or the Anaheim Ducks, <laughs> starting games and not looking good. Now, I will say this. Gibson didn't have a good game, but that first goal by Dreisaitl, you yeah. expect that goal to come in – like 
90 miles an hour and that thing came in like two miles an hour because he flubbed the shot. And you could speak to that as a goalie. When you're expecting a hard shot and the motion's there it's and hard. it just trickles like that, that's hard to cover. It's really hard to cover. And it's easy to look terrible. You know, it's easy to yes. look really bad. Like that's a, and that, that I felt bad for him. I mean, it, it was just a really hard, I mean, it, you know, there's a reason that, you know, major league baseball players can't hit 75 mile an hour changeups. You know, it's right. like really tricky. I mean, it's, it is. Really is, and I didn't. Now, like, was the Anaheim defense completely non-existent for the whole first period? Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 this is the other thing going. going <laughs> I mean, Anaheim. I mean, Anaheim. I think the events conspired against them because before the game, you hear Andres Sakara out for the game, Oscar Clefbaum off for the game. I almost think that mentally they were saying, "Oh, we got this. They're going to be shorthanded. They're playing Griffin Reinhardt and Eric Griba on defense, and they expected just Edmonton to just fold up." Fold up their tent and not ha not even be in, and and Edmonton surprised them by actually having some intestinal fortitude and standing up and and jumping all over them. You know that's something that you know a team with a lot of experience like Anaheim. I mean they have a lot of young players too, but the Getzloffs, the Perrys, uh, you know guys like Antoine Vermette who won a Stanley Cup. You know these are the guy these are the guys who have to step to the forefront. And I didn't even notice them. The only guy who did anything in Game Six was Ryan Kessler. Getting in McDavid's face, right. you know. At least you can make them pay a price for the win. At least you, you know, you maybe get a little scummy and, and hack and slash. You know, say okay, get prepared for Game Seven. But there was this a complete El Foldo by Anaheim in Game Six, and that's something that Randy Carlisle is going to have to straighten out before I think Wednesday when that when the game yeah, is uh, scheduled. And here's the thing: Edmonton didn't even have Clefbaum. They played Griffin Reinhardt. Right. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. I mean, I just, I just, I think that I mean, it's, it's funny because the momentum in hockey in the playoffs. I'm such a big believer in it, and I'm a big believer in the fact that when teams get killed, it doesn't help them. I mean, it does. It does. I don't, it, know, heck, I don't think in this series there is zero momentum because well, no, I, I actually will say that, I agree. There's no like typical, yeah. momentum. but but I'm not, and I shouldn't even say momentum. To me, it's more like an ebb and flow thing. Like okay. the ebb and flow of the series is that the way the Ducks won Game Five. Um, was doesn't do the Ducks any real favors because no three nothing you come back you win three you win, you score the three goals late making me feel like you're kind of invincible like you can just take off the first period of the game because you can come from behind on this team I, I think see in a way I agree with you but the, I think the one thing in in Anaheim's advantage is in this series they're at a game seven where they've played basically two and three quarter periods that are two games and three quarters of the game in Anaheim where they've been the worst team. And you can say, okay, well, the, you know, the odds are that a team of the quality of Anaheim will step up in, an, in, in another game, in that seventh game, because they can't play that bad four games in a row at home. Well, maybe they can. And that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I, if, if Anaheim does not come out whipped up into a lather in game seven, and ready and ready to bowl over a young and inexperienced Edmonton team, then their own that's their that's the that's a complete nightmare in their own fault. True, true. It's hard to argue that. I mean, I to me, I think yeah, and the you know to me that is the case, right? Because the I was just getting a text there, so excuse me if I was if I missed. Okay. Um, but um, I'm going to talk about that too. We're going to talk about Montreal in a second. Um, so that's so the text was involving. 
But um, yeah, if we're looking at this too, like like I said before, it's a tough way for Anaheim to win. It's also a tough way for Edmonton to win. Six, because you don't want to blow a team out like that. Like you want to win a game four to three, four to two. Because honestly, what happens after that game is the slate gets wiped. Like for Anaheim, they flush it. Yeah, they flush it. It's a serious wake up call for Edmonton. Their confidence goes, and 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 you have to work. They have to work as hard as they did in Game Six, and whether or not you're going to work that hard or not, you know, you're going to have to work harder in Game Seven because this is the the. Also, we're looking at a team here with a ton of. This is like the ultimate ultimate challenge as to whether the whole thing do you have to get to the playoffs and win first or not matters, right? Because there is no team with more experience in Game Sevens than Anaheim, and there is no team with less experience in Game Sevens than Edmonton. Yeah, but that experience is not exactly going to pay not off. Good, but that's okay. It's because the way the way experience usually works is yeah, you go and you lose first so you can win. They've lost a lot first. Yeah. <laughs> They've lost first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. But they, but will that ex- the Anaheim? These Edmonton Oilers, they didn't know about the playoffs before they got the playoffs, and they don't know about Game Seven, so they've got to Game Sevens. I mean, that's the other thing. So this is whether they're going to have to get, whether they're going to get, you know, whether they're going to know what to do. They're either going to be too young and it's not going to matter, and that's great, or they're just going to, or they're going to be nervous. I mean, uh, I'm not sure how much that Edmonton didn't buy into the, uh, you know, piling on in Game Six because, you know. They came out in the second period and scored a couple goals really quickly, and it was seven-one or six-one. And you know, I didn't, I didn't watching that game perceive that they were taking the pedal off of the off of the metal. They were they they were not throttling back. They were not going into a lower gear. They were st- they were piling it on. I think they wanted to make sure that there was no way that Anaheim was going to come back after scoring the three goals in four and a half minutes. But you know, the thing I was surprised at it was that there wasn't more extracurricular stuff that happened late in the game. I thought messages were going to be sent. I mean, usually in the playoffs, when you're up by five or six goals, somebody's going to take a run at somebody. No, but I think Kessler was sending a message in a less overt way, but I think he was getting to guys, and I think he was sort of Yeah, it was tough because, I mean, I think both teams, if you would have just pulled them, would have just said, let's just end this after the first period and get out seven because no one wants to – at that point, everybody was really nervous. Um, yeah, I think I think, he, I think Kessler laid the groundwork for that. The, the funny thing was is I was doing a live radio interview for a show I'm on every Sunday, and they asked me about the momentum factor. What does it mean that Edmonton lost in overtime? And I said, clearly nothing because they're up 5 nothing. Like it's just and, – and clearly the next game, it's going to be the same thing. There's not going to be any momentum for either team in the next game. I do, I do think there's not going to be any momentum, but I think that it's going to be harder for the Edmonton Oilers to get up for that game than it's going to be for the Anaheim Ducks. I agree. I mean, look, I, I, I think – when someone like Scotty Bowman says there's no more home ice, I disagree because I think there are a few places that can give an advantage, and I do think the pond at Anaheim is one of them. And because it's it's not – I mean, you've been there. I haven't been there, but I know where it sort of is, and it's not an easy place to get to. It's not – you know, like everything sort of leans towards the ducks when you're, yeah, when you're really, playing. Yeah, it's not a real – I don't know. It's not a super loud building. Uh, it's not it's – not, I mean, I'm not going with loud. I'm just going with convenience of – Flying into the airport, getting there. Yeah, I mean you're gonna. gonna I mean they're gonna fly and they're gonna stay. There's hotels right there. They're gonna stay right next to it. It's it's like really. I mean it's it's definitely you know, it's Disney World, right? So I mean it's Disneyland. So it's basically like you drive down a highway and there's a road and a big sign above says left to the pond, right to Disneyland. Literally that's what happened. You're right there. So as you go, it's like you know. Now I want to bring back. I got this sent to me and I thought it was really interesting. The predator. Oh, can, can, can I can I just make one one last point? Yeah, this is gonna. I I think that the extra day is the worst thing that could have happened to Edmonton. 
because yeah. being the younger team, an extra day with the anticipation of the game seven, I think it helps Anaheim because they can, again, it helps them wash away that that destructive game. But Edmonton now with those younger players, the, the pressure will be building up on them. The expectation will be building up on them. Yeah, and I would say that's usually the case. I would agree with you. But in this particular case, with all of the blown game sevens at home for Anaheim, I don't know that it yeah. is. I yeah. think it, it changes a little. Like this is a so to finish this Anaheim thing. Um, last year, the Predators and Anaheim played in the first round, and it's interesting to follow that that series because the first two games were won in Anaheim by Nashville, yeah. uh, three to two, and then the Ducks took over this series. They won three to nothing and four to one in Nashville. They won five to two back in Anaheim, so they were up three games to two. Yep. And then, then it was game six back in Nashville where they lost three to one. And that was the game where they, and then they lost in like double overtime, two to one in game seven to the Predators yep. um, on a Mike Fitzgerald, I think it was. So, And and the, the, the change after game two was uh, Boudreaux went from Gibson to Freddie Anderson. Right, right, he did, right. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, in this game, if you start Bernier, you're making a mistake. And I don't think, no. I don't think Carlisle will. No, they won't. no, no. The way the way Bernier played in relief last night, Russ, I think you know they're going to sink or swim with Gibson. It's going to yeah. it's going to be. They're going to have to. All right, so we got to talk about. Um, we also, of course, have to get into Ottawa and the Rangers. So let's do that. Um, because that. Yeah, can can I can I can I just react to this one? Because I, I was I was right. watching this one. I you know honestly, and I'm not trying to react over emotionally here. Elaine Vigneault has has coached this series like he wants to get fired. Because I think, because I, I I really think that you know that the Rangers have mismanaged this series should be over with. They should have won the the game two in Ottawa. They had they had the lead. They blew it. They had a one goal lead in in this game, and and uh, Broussard ties the game. He, for some reason, he doesn't trust one of his better defensemen in Brady Shea, who he didn't play. I think it was the last five minutes of regulation, but he continues to play Brendan Smith and Nick Holden. Brendan Smith, who's standing in front of that like a like the Statue of Liberty, while the puck is right there and does absolutely nothing. But Brendan so Smith Elaine, hits people, and he gets an occasional assist, and he has a good shot, Mike. <laughs> I mean, this is the weirdness of the Rangers. I agree. I mean, it's I, I don't understand it. And, look, Nick Holden is producing a little bit offensively. He is. Yes. But for the defensive gaffes, it, it's bad. For, again, not trusting Shea makes no sense. Putting in Brendan Smith in important spots makes no sense. Having Grabner not on the power play makes no sense when your power play stinks. Or even Jesper Fast, because I said Jesper Fast was a really good power play guy until he came to the Rangers. Every other level, he was excellent at it. He can't even sniff it. But yet, they keep Derek Stepan on the power play, and he can't do anything. And he might have a massive injury, and that's fine. But still, take him off the power play then, because he's completely useless on the power play right now. All of these things and the stubbornness is what's hurting the Rangers in this series, because most people would agree the Rangers have a better roster. Most people would also agree Eric Carlson's been superhuman on one leg. Yeah. But there's a way to win this series, and the fact that they're even down in this series is a little crazy, but this is where we are. Yeah, now the, the thing that I mean, and I'm not saying go out and cheap shot him, but honestly, if Eric Carlson is doing this on one leg, then you have to take away that one leg. You either have to, you either have to not run them, but you have to be physical with them if if possible. You have to you know, you have to lay the body on them. You have to make him pay. 
And if if they do that, I think they still win this series. You have to but catch them to make him pay. Who on that team's catching them? Well, there, I mean, there are a few guys. There are a few guys. A guy like Kreider can catch him. Kreider's got. Yeah, Kreider might be the one. I mean, they have to lay the body on this guy. Now, and you made an interesting point about the fact that they put Chris Neal in the lineup, and that sort of neutralized, you know, Tanner Glass. It did, and then I'll and I'll expand on that. Yeah, yeah. It, Neal, when he was in there, and he wasn't in there a lot. I think first period was only three shifts, but he he started to creep into the game like the Costanza creeps into your mind. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the more that Neil sort of crept into that game, the more Tanner Glass paid attention to him and stopped laying really good checks on Ottawa and stopped any offensive production that he might have had. And he started paying attention to Neil and started jawing with him on the bench and immediately took him out of his game. And so that was a smart move. We kind of knew Neil was going to come in, and it was mission accomplished for, for Chris Neal. That game – was so, I mean, it was just, it was such a, I mean, the way that end, I mean, you're right. It was just a really horrible way. For and Taurus has killed them all series and they've had no answer for it. Yeah. But, okay, and just, just, to, just on that last goal to tie the game. That's just like bounce over five people. No, no, but I'm just saying, but he has killed them. Even when he's not scoring, he is getting so many scoring chances. And just to, just to go back to our, our video review thing from earlier in the game, just look at that, look at that game and how it, how it ended. Uh, you know, first, first he had the video review on the on the VC goal, which I think was justified because it was they they didn't call it a goal, and then they video reviewed it, and it was. But Turris scores the goal in overtime. It's clearly not offside, but Elaine Vino has the you know basically has the video review and says, "I may as well request it." Well, so the, you know what? Here's the debate on it, and I was debating this with some guys who were referees. Possession is another thing now that really could be up for debate when we're talking about these things, because when you look at the frozen screen, he is clearly over, but the puck isn't. It's not even touching any white. And so there is this little thing, and Eck could talk about it because he played hockey, where now the referees are saying, well, he possessed the puck, so it's okay that he was like that. But did he really have full possession? I think that's why Vigneault did put up that video replay. Well, he had nothing to lose. He had nothing to lose. He had nothing to lose, but having full possession – is a big deal now when we're getting down to the nitty gritty of these other things. What do you yeah. think? No, I agree. I agree. I, I, I agree with you completely, Russ. Well, I, pl I I plead with the competition committee and with the NHL during the off season to change the rule to make it more like breaking the plane in the NFL instead of the foot. Because how many replays have we seen where is the skate fully down? Is he dragging the skate? No, it doesn't matter if his foot is on the blue line, and you know, then that should be you know, that, if it's breaking the plane, then fine. That's much easier to make that call or make a skinnier blue line. Yeah, you could do that. Sorry, I'm back. What um, about that, Eck? What about if we make if we cut the blue line's dimensions in half? Hmm. I don't know. It's so you're still, it doesn't matter. You're still got the same things. Not at all, because then on replay, it's gonna even it's gonna be almost impossible to pull off what Mike was just talking about if it's half the size. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think you might. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd have to see what it looks like in the arena and on TV. Right. You know, I, I just think breaking. The, I just think you know the plane breaking the plane. I'm with you on that. I think that's what I need to do. And I think they'll, you know, I think they'll they'll do that. They didn't want to do that during the season because to change the rules in the middle of the year, or to say you're going to change the rule and then have you know the old rule be effective. 
be in effect, in effect that would look optically it would look bad but they have to change that because all you're doing is like a goal in 15 you're wasting 10 minutes seeing well is this foot down is this foot not down well change the rule please and here's the funny thing too I don't think Guy Boucher changed anything in his game plan other than using Chris Neal. Like I, I, I didn't see any change in anything. I didn't see them being less in the one-three-one. I didn't see them being more aggressive on offense. I still think they're the team that doesn't want to make a mistake. But it worked. It's working out for them. It's working. It is. It's really. It's it's it's, it's fascinating. They're, Not every game, but it's working for the series. Yeah, I mean, they're another team that has that destiny field, and it's just kind of crazy. They really are, and they are. I mean. And, and then we get into we didn't get we I mean we have to really jeez so much to talk about I think we want to I want to talk about Montreal and I guess we'll get into that tomorrow because we have to talk about Washington Pittsburgh real quick as well because that's happening tonight. Well, I mean we can talk about that pretty quickly because honestly the the game this weekend where Washington staved off you know, elimination. I mean, I first of all I'm shocked that Crosby and Sheary played. I really am. I, I cannot believe. Yeah. You know, I cannot believe that up three games to one that they would, you know, if, if Crosby feels fine, he feels fine. I understand that. But you can choose to be careful. And you could go in with not without Crosby in that fifth game. And if you win, great. And if you don't, if you don't, yeah. then fine. But I, I'm really surprised. The doctors gave him a choice. If you do this, you're risking this. And if you don't, you're not. And he probably chose to play. Yeah, I can't believe it. I can't believe that he would. I mean, knowing his history, he's been so conservative in the past. I can't believe he would risk it. Unless, we unless don't know he, how much of a risk. We don't know. But I'm just saying. been okay. He must have just really been okay. I mean, yeah. like, people just don't know with concussions. I mean, people say concussion history, but what you don't also don't say about Crosby is he's handled his concussions really well. So concussion history is one thing, but the fact that he is – every time he's had a concussion, he has taken his time. He's not come back too quickly. The positive thing about this one is by playing in that game – He'll have his timing back for the next game. He won't lose anything now. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I don't know how quickly the timing would go. Eh, the timing goes away on some of these players. It's a hair thing, and I think it does. And I, and, and, I, and the, the people will ask, well, who's the bigger bigger pressure on tonight? Is it on, you know, Pittsburgh wanting to close it out and not going back to Washington for game seven, or is it on Washington? I mean, I think it's equal. I really don't think that there's any. No, I think it's on Washington still. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, okay, Ross. Crosby has a Stanley Cup. It's on Washington. That's my feeling. I mean, it's, it's like the, the Crosby has a Stanley Cup, and that team, the most of those players have mm-hmm. a Stanley Cup. So I think at the end of the day, I get that. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, and you know, it's the overall. If Washington doesn't at least make the Stanley Cup final, then the big C word is going to be mentioned with ever, you know, with ever increasing light uh, frequency. Again, Washington took the lead. They're going to have to take the lead in this one. They're going to have to hold the lead and build on the lead. Ovechkin was better with Wilson. I think we all. I think it's high time in in hockey to give Tom Wilson a little more credit for the kind of player he is. I think we've been fair to him on this show, but I think other people have sort of unfairly characterized him as just a goon. And I, he's not that he's better than that. I couldn't agree more over that. I think, and I think that that was a hugely important move. And, and just the fact that back Baxter and Ovechkin scored in that game was huge for them. That yeah. fact that they, I, I, like I said before, I still think this is a seven game series. I think it's going back to Washington. It could be. I mean, to Pittsburgh, to Washington, right. To Washington, sorry. To Washington. Yep. Back. Um, all right, quickly, um, we got to go pretty soon. But I started an unprotected thing today. I'm going to be doing more blogs on the um, on the on the uh, draft coming up. The you mean for the NHL expansion draft. NHL expansion draft. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> I appreciate it. Sorry, I'm doing too many things at once today. So I wrote a rumor, and I've been getting texts, and one of the reasons I've been sort of distracted is because I heard this rumor that the Canadians might be offering up Emmeline, um with to, to Vegas um, in a trade, um, and the Knights then would agree to take Davidson, um, leaving okay. leaving Byron and Houdon. Not, you know, not right, leaving them alone. Those are the players that they want. That you know, I would want Charles Houdon like tomorrow. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a big feeling that he would be the guy that you know. And Byron's you know had a great year and everything like that, but Charles Houdon is is really he's got a shot you can't teach. Yeah, so this is the kind of trade I think we could see more of. You know, this is okay. So Emmelin, you know, is obviously a good player. He's got only one two more years, but, and people who seem to assume that Mike McPhee or George Mike McPhee, George McPhee is going to just take all young players, you know, is, is not, that's, you he's going to get some veteran defensemen if he can. Sure. Well, I mean, okay, veteran, veteran defensemen are a commodity. And I mean, if they do agree to take Emelin in a trade, it is more than likely to take that player and flip them someplace else. Yeah, sure. And because, then, you know, this team, for all, for all the people. But not right away. He'll play the season. and he'll well, flip Emelin right away. Like you got, you're going to have to have guys like this. Mike, he's got to fill the AHL and the NHL. Well, that's that, a big task. Well, right, Russ, and that's why, like, that's why I keep saying what's going to happen is he's going to make a lot of these side deals where he's going to get a player to take a to a, a player from, say, you know, I'll use Toronto as the example, yeah. get a player like Josh Levo, who's an NHL player who doesn't can't can't play for the Leafs, or or Mike Babcock likes other players better. He'll get a player like that. For that, for him to take a guy like Eric Fair, who he knows, he'll get two for the you, price. How do you put that on the sheet? They're just going to be like they send him to the Vegas. To the Vegas future man. considerations. There'll be a trade announced. Future, future considerations. considerations. Yeah. There won't be any, and there won't be any. You know, it won't be saying that you'll never know that it was so we don't take so and so or so we do right. take so. Yeah. But that'll be the agreement, right? So. Right. Or, or, or even, or even the Levo portion of it. Just using this as an example, or even the Levo portion of it happening, happening after the expansion draft, and maybe Toronto gets somebody that they claimed from somebody else. I mean, that's a possibility. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's how you work it out. I mean, but that's what that's what's going to happen. I mean, he's got to fill not only a twenty-three man roster in the NHL. He's got to fill up an AHL team, and it doesn't yeah. make sense to fill it up with with guys who are sort of middle of the road prospects. He's going to try to get young players who can step up in the NHL in a year or two. Well, this is for sure, and I've got a boogie, guys. And far, fortunately, um, we got to end the show here. I got lots of stuff going on. But please make sure you keep an eye on Hockey Buzz because I'm going to be updating this blog here in, this afternoon because there seems to be more happening. Well, with I was that. looking at Dean Lombardi too. I had to squeeze that in. We'll see about that. Yep. All right. All right. We'll, we'll talk soon. Remember, without the buzz, folks, it's just hockey. Talk to you then. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.